It is time for a history lesson. Why the Orlando Magic are following in the footsteps of one of their greatest teams by trying to make a late postseason push. We're going to talk about Dwight Howard and Paolo Bancaro, one player who didn't win Rookie of the Year, another who will. We'll get to that on today's Locked On Magic. You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. are indeed locked on magic today is march 28th 2023 my name is philip rossmerich i'm the expert insight editor over at orlando magic daily.com of course follow me on twitter at philip rr underscore omd on today's episode of locked on magic it is time for a history lesson how the orlando magic are following the path of dwight howard's orlando magic and what that has to do with a late season push plus we are going to review the lottery standings. We're going to go over what's going on in the standings standings war, what it all means. We'll do some of that. I did some of it yesterday. We're going to do it again today. Uh, and we're going to just reaffirm that Paolo Bancaro is going to win Rookie of the Year because he's going to win Rookie of the Year. There's there's just, there's just there's no argument for him not to win Rookie of the Year. So there, we, we, we're, going to, we're going to do it. We're going to just knock that out. But first, we want to thank you again for making Lockdown Magic part of your day every day. No matter when you listen to us, whether it's first thing in the morning, whether it's right when you upload, we truly appreciate you making Lockdown Magic part of your day every day. Remember, this great Lockdown podcast covering every single team in the NBA to search for Lockdown and the team you're looking for, the Lockdown Podcast Network. It's your team every day. The Orlando Magic are on a three-game win streak. That is awesome. The Orlando Magic are after the Bulls lost to the LA Clippers on Monday. Four games out of the final play-in spot with seven games to play. Their elimination number is four. Four Magic losses, four Bulls win, any combination of four Magic losses or four four Bulls wins, and the Magic will no longer be in the postseason, uh, no longer be in postseason contention. Um, It is, that's the way I would phrase it. The other simple way to phrase it is if the Bulls go four and four, if the Bulls are simply 500 the rest of the way, the Magic will have, well, they'll be out. Um, if the if the Bulls go three and whatever, I don't know how many games they have left. The Bulls win three games. The Magic would have to win the remaining seven. Um, if the Bulls win two, they'd have to, they'd be able to go six and one. The Magic are walking a very, 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 very narrow path to make the play-in tournament. We have not hid from that. We are not denying this path is narrow. We are not saying that the Magic won't get that the Magic will get there, or that we should be disappointed if they don't get there. That's just a fact of life. The Magic's journey to the postseason is going to be difficult, is going to be hard, is not going to be easy. It never was. The Magic dug themselves a humongously deep hole at 5-20 and 20, thanks to all the injuries they had. Uh, but the Magic, the Magic had, had their work cut out for them. We're, we aren't denying that. We aren't sitting here saying that that isn't the case. Um, it's, as I've said numerous times, it's not about making it, or it's not about making it, it's the process of feeling the pressure, of trying to deal with the pressure, of having to know you have to win every game. That pressure is tremendous, and frankly, this team's played well under it. Now, 
there's always a, a debate at this time of year about whether these strong finishes carry over to the end of the year. I know I've sat here with young teams that the Magic have had before and said that, yeah, they might. Like, each year is its own thing. It's a new team. You have new players. You have to start a little bit from scratch. You have to reestablish things. New players, new roles. Players get better. It, it's, it isn't that simple. So I am going to make an argument here, but it, it, is, it certainly isn't that simple. And we've seen plenty of spaces where a young Magic team that felt like it was rebuilding and building in the right direction, played out the string and, and really didn't gain a whole lot from it. Um, then again, some of those teams where I think we made those arguments for didn't have quite the success this team has. Didn't have the future that we feel this team has. That didn't feel like they were really on the precipice of turning things around. You could go back and look at some of those Aaron Gordon, Nikola Vucevic, Evan Fournier teams and... They never put together the kind of runs that this team has because since December 7th, the Magic are 27 and 23. They have spent nearly three quarters of their season playing 500 basketball. Really, just the first quarter of the season was the bad one. They had a really bad first quarter of the season. They have not been able to dig themselves out of that hole. But they have played exceptionally well for most of the season. This, honestly, like, you could challenge me on this. I won't say you're completely wrong, but this feels a little more real. What the Magic are doing today feels like it's something that can continue, can get better, can be something to build off of. So yes, we are looking at the standings, and we'll get to the history lesson here in a minute, but we are looking at the standings, and we are thinking about this team and what they can still accomplish and, and climbing the standings and taking advantage of some of these teams that are tanking, but um, just finding that confidence to build wins together toward the end of the season, I think is ultimately valuable. Let's go through the lottery standings right now. First, first and foremost, the magic can no longer finish worse than fifth in the lottery standings. Charlotte is 25 and 51. The most wins they can have is 31. Orlando is 32. Congratulations, your bottom four is set. Um, Charlotte is also quickly losing ground on three. So your bottom three actually looks pretty set. San Antonio is 19 and 56. That means the most wins they can have is 26. Charlotte with two more wins. They're on a two-game win streak right now, so maybe they're done. But San Antonio would have to go on a heck of a win streak that they're not going to go on to climb out of the bottom three. Your bottom three is set. It's Detroit, Houston, San Antonio. Those are your top odds to win the NBA draft lottery. Charlotte's going to be fourth. Right now, with Portland losing to New Orleans on Monday, the Magic are tied for fifth with the Trailblazers for fifth in the lottery odds. If the Magic and Blazers stay stay tied for fifth, they would each have a 39.9% chance at win, or they would each have about a 39-40% chance of winning the NBA draft lottery and about a 10% about a 10 9.8, 9.7% chance of getting the number one overall pick. Um, finishing a, a tie for fifth and sixth would give Portland a, give 98 number combinations. They're one and nine in their last 10, by the way. And give the Magic 97 number combinations. We'll do the lottery explainer later on. Don't, don't worry about that if you're, ask, if you're wondering, like, what is he talking about? Number combinations. We, we'll explain the lottery when we get a little closer to lottery time. Um, essentially, if you're tied, 
you split the odds. You combine the odds and you split them evenly. The tie and, and tiebreaker for draft order purposing is done by a random draw at the end of the season. We will hype up the random draw. I'm a big fan of the random draw. It's one of my favorite favorite events on the NBA calendar. Um, but you look at the standings that Magic are making up ground on the other teams. So if you are looking at about the lottery odds, yeah, you probably should be. Uh, the Magic are now just a half game behind the Indiana Pacers for 7th in the lottery standings, and they're a game behind the Wizards for 8th in the lottery standings. They play each other on Friday. Washington is reportedly considering shutting down Bradley Beal and Kristaps Porzingis. I think both are questionable for Tuesday's game. Um, they're 2-8 and eight in their last 10. Your like, extreme tanking teams right now are Portland and Washington. Indiana still seems like they're going for something. Uh, so... Orlando and Indiana may very well end up ahead of Washington. You may end up with Portland at five, uh, Washington at six, and Orlando and Indiana fighting uh, for seven and eight in the lottery standings. If I were to bet, I think the Magic would finish sixth or seventh in the lottery standings. I think that they're going to get past. I think they're going to pass Portland, um, and they're going to end up where they end up. Um, again, I am not overly concerned about lottery odds. It is the thing I care least about because this team is good enough to advance and good enough to do better and do more. And that's the kind of point I want to draw out right now. We have seen in the past young teams who are exactly like the Orlando Magic make late postseason runs, make late late postseason pushes, and even though they come up short, it ends up being better for them in the long run. We're going to talk about two of those teams, but especially one from Orlando Magic history. We're going to get to that coming up here in just a moment. But first, a quick word from our friends over at FanDuel. Here comes the banner. There it is. The NCAA tournament is heating up. The Final Four is here. An unbelievable Final Four. We're excited for the fresh blood. San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, Miami, and UConn. Very excited to see these four. It may not be the marquee names that you, that, that fans know of, but these are all really fun teams. I love I love watching San Diego State. They play such great defense. They have NBA bodies. I don't know if they have NBA players, but they have NBA bodies. I'm really falling in love with Jordan Hawkins when it comes to the draft. And now there's no better place to get in on this action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and sign up today to claim your no-sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will be cutting down the net. All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Not just regularly easy to use, super easy to use. So don't miss your shot at a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Like I said, today is a history lesson uh, because essentially for the Magic to make the playoffs, to make the postseason, to make the play-in tournament, they are going to have to be perfect. They cannot lose. They face the Memphis Grizzlies on Tuesday. It's going to be a real tough game. They've struggled with Memphis a ton in the past, uh, especially since they got good. Um, It's going to be a tough game. Um, And there might be a margin of error of one loss, maybe, 
The bowl schedule is not super easy. Let me pull up my Tankathon uh, strength of schedule here. Give me a sec. Um, it's it's going to be really, really hard. And again, the play-in tournament was always going to be really, really tough. Just looking at uh, Tankathon strength of schedule, the Magic have the 13th hardest schedule remaining in the league. Chicago has the 20th hardest schedule, so the 11th easiest schedule. They still got games against Detroit and Charlotte, uh, as well as a game against the Lakers who are playing better. So, um, again, it's going to be tough. It's going to be real tough, and, and the Magic are going to need some help. That's obviously the position the Magic put themselves in. But obviously, a lot of fans have taken to comparing the Magic's predicament and the Magic's potential now to what the Phoenix Suns did in the bubble. Go back to 2020, maybe not too far back, but go think back to 2020. And remember that the Phoenix Suns were kind of the outlier team invited to the bubble. Nobody gave the Phoenix Suns much of a chance to make the playoffs. They were invited to make the numbers even, to make the schedule work perhaps, but they still had an opportunity to make the postseason or to make the play in tournament because of the rules that the NBA set up coming out of the bubble. And Phoenix knew they had to go undefeated. So what does Phoenix do? What does a young Devin Booker do? What does DeAndre Ayton do? They go 8-0. They finish the season as strong as possible and just barely miss the play-in. Just barely miss that play-in game and a chance to make the playoffs. To say the least, the showing that they had on a big national stage in a, in a big setting, Devin Booker hitting game-winning shots, was sort of a proof of concept that this team was ready to make a bigger leap after so long missing the postseason. It's about a, I think it was a decade without making the playoffs of the Suns. Without so long, after so long missing the postseason, it was proof that the Suns were ready to go. They were ready for the big time. They were ready to make that step. And they made up all that ground to give themselves at least a fighter's chance under the rules to make the postseason. And on top of this, playing that way under that pressure was proof to their management that they were ready to push all in. They went and got Chris Paul. They became the top seed in the Western Conference. And yeah, they fell short last year. Or they or that actually, they weren't, they weren't the number one seed. Sorry, I'm skipping you there. They were number one seed last year. Um, they made the finals. They got to the NBA finals. Came, took a 2-0 lead. He had a real chance to win an NBA championship. is a springboard. Obviously, that's a pretty lofty springboard. Devin, Bo- Devin Booker wasn't a rookie. DeAndre Ayton uh, was in his second year, I think, at the time. So, obviously, they were a little bit older than this Magic team um, when they did that. But it, it, it's not so far-fetched to think that a team can use a late-season surge as that kind of jumping-off point as kind of a proof of concept, as kind of an acknowledgement like, hey, we can do this. And we've got an example in Magic history that tells us exactly that. I want to take you back to March 6th, 2006. The Orlando Magic have just lost the Utah Jazz on the road in Utah, ending a West Coast trip. 90-85. to Normal score for the mid-2000s. Not that normal, but it was normal. Um, Leaving the Magic at 20-40 and and on a six-game losing streak. The season was over. Dwight Howard's second season had come and passed. The Magic had made had traded out Steve Francis. They were 
clearly kind of figuring out, well, what do we need to give Dwight Howard? Who is Dwight Howard still? They knew they had to give Jimmy Nelson some more playing time, which they certainly did. But it wasn't clear what direction this Magic team was going to go in and and what they needed. Maybe they needed another high draft pick. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to your tankers argue about that later. But what did the Magic do over those final 26 games? The Magic burned off one of the most impressive end-of-season runs that I think any of us have ever seen. It's something I still remember vividly, not just because it was the uh, the Magic season of my senior year of high school, so it was kind of my last Magic season at home, but it became something to say like, okay, this team can do this. This team can be a really good team. This team can indeed figure it out. Over the final 26 games, the Magic proceeded to go 16-6, and including an eight-game win streak. They entered a game against the Chicago Bulls, the penultimate game of the season, the home finale on April 17th. Really close in the standings to the Bulls, the team that they were trying to catch for that final playoff, final playoff spot. It's one play-in tournament. The Bulls finished the season 40-41. and 41. The Magic were, at that time, 36 and 43. So time was running out, but I think they were only I think they were only down um, a few games at that point. So the Bulls entered that game at 39 and 41. The Magic were thir- were 36 and 45. Or 36 and 44. They needed those last three games. They needed to win all three of those final games. And so it was a must-win game against the Bulls. And a tightly in a tight contest, the Bulls did win that game 116 to 112 in overtime. Actually, I have my math wrong there. The Magic were eliminated when they got to that game, but the Magic put on a humongous fight to give themselves every chance to make the play the playoffs at that point. They burned off a ton of wins. And in the process, we saw how good Jimmy Nelson could be. We saw Dwight Howard was a little bit better than we all thought, or all thought it could be. And the Magic, indeed, began to find an identity. The Magic began to figure out who they were. During those final 26 games, Orlando won their share of close games. Only scored 111.7 points per one possessions. This was that time in the NBA. 113.9 defensive rating. Orlando just scratched out games where they could. Sorry, that's that's for the whole season. I apologize. Uh, After March 10th, the Magic found their identity. In a number of ways. And I'm sorry, I'm not able to pull up the correct stats there. So I apologize for not being prepared today. Uh, The Magic found their identity and played so well. They began to understand their future. And we all knew, exiting that season, the Magic were going to be in the playoffs the next year. The Magic were ready to start winning more seriously. Now, obviously, Orlando... Um, got a healthy Grant Hill. They got Hito Turkoglu, who was starting to figure things out and get comfortable. Under Brian Hill, they played some staunch defense and put themselves in position to make the playoffs in 2007, which, of course, they did. As an eight seed at 42-40, and 40, 
where they were promptly swept by the Detroit Pistons. But that, of course, opened the door to what would happen over the next several years. The Magic bring in Stane Van Gundy. The Magic sign Richard Lewis um, in the wake of Grant Hill's departure. And the rest is, as they say, history. I remember distinctly after that 2006 season, knowing that the future for this team was bright. We had the two young young players in Dwight Howard and Jimmy Nelson. We had we showed the ability to put wins together. And look, this Magic team is not making that kind of a run. <laughs> that run, 26 and six, or 16 and six, is, in, is is a crazy good run for a young team. And the Magic don't have Grand Hill to lean on. The Magic have done well to go 27 and 23 uh, since December 7th, or since yeah, since December 7th. They have done well to show their progress and put themselves in this spot. And that's the kind of momentum the Magic are hoping to build because a a good chunk of this team is going to be back. I don't see the Magic making wholesale changes to this roster. I think they will add important pieces. I think they will add important draft picks. I think they will add free agents. I think there might be a trade or two. But this is the core group that this team wants to move forward with. And we can see the future. We can see that this team is capable of more, is capable of continuing to grow. And that's why these games are valuable. That's why this momentum has meaning. It isn't empty. I'm sorry. I, I just I don't think this, this momentum is empty because you got to start learning how to win now. You got to start putting the expectation of winning on this team now. We, we, we wasted a season giving them a chance to learn some, learn some lessons and learn, learn through their mistakes, which is fine. I'm not against that. But we know now this team is ready to win. And so you have to hold them to the standard now because if you give them that standard, they will prove to you exactly who they are. And the Magic have come home. Yeah, they had their struggles, and we can see their weaknesses, and we understand their weaknesses. But we can see this team does have that growth capability. And we are ready to watch them grow, indeed. When we come back, we're going to chat Paolo Bancaro and the Rookie of the Year Award because it is continuing to come up and it continues to be shot down. Let's chat about Paolo Bancaro coming up here in just a moment. So, uh, the Rookie of the Year debate is over. Like, I don't have, I shouldn't have to keep bringing this up, but there are still national media that gets bored, that brings this up. I am glad the Bill Simmons podcast with and Ryan Russillo uh, addressed this on their show earlier on Monday. Um, it's over. It's been over for five months. That is no disrespect to anybody else in the competition. No disrespect to what has turned out to be a fantastic rookie class. I'm in love with a a lot of rookies in this class. Obviously, we still got Chet to come. Uh, Jabari Smith has started to figure things out. It's been a really good rookie class, but Paolo Bancaro is heads and tails above everybody. And and, and honestly, like, Jalen Williams has been very good for Oklahoma City. He gets to play off of Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who is potentially an all-NBA player this year. He's been fantastic. And Jalen Williams has figured some stuff out, has gotten better as the year has gone on. Deserves a lot of credit. Um, you know, uh, since the All-Star break, you know, I'm just going to go from something simple. 
Uh, since the All-Star break, A, the Magic and Thunder have the same record when those two players play. Magic are 8-8 eight and eight with when Ben Carroll plays. Thunder are 8-8 eight eight when Williams plays. Um, since the All-Star break, Jalen Williams is averaging 18.6 points per game. Shooting splits of 54-7, 44-7, 85-9. 5. 5.8 rebounds per game, 4.4 4 assists per game. Those are really good numbers. And, and, and I give him all the credit in the world. He's figured things out. He's playing his role perfectly. He's had a great year. And Paolo Bancaro, Frank, you know, yes, I think we can I think we can say this without being too much in trouble. Paolo Bancaro really shined brightly. He's kind of kept that light going throughout the course of the season. Um, but he hasn't necessarily uh blown the doors open or like gotten better. He hit a high, maybe dipped a floor lower. But it's just kind of been staying above everyone. Whereas, like, Jalen Williams was like in the middle here, then hit this high, and it's just, you know, that that's the kind of season Paolo Bancaro's had. Because even when Paolo Bancaro's been bad, he's still been better than a lot of rookies. Paolo Bancaro since the All Star break 19.8 points per game, 44.3% shooting, 32% from beyond the arc, 71.2% from the line, 6.9 rebounds per game, 4 assists per game. I get it. He is getting significantly more usage. He's shooting 15.9 field goal attempts per game. Williams is doing it on just 12.7. It's I get those arguments that, that the advanced numbers are not going to like Paolo, and, and that's because Paolo's had to be the star. He's had to deal with double teams. He's had to deal with the pressure and the attention that come from being the top guy on a team that, that is trying to win. He's had to deal with making mistakes. But it's just no doubt. Watch a game. You know, Paolo has been really good. And, and as our friend Wealth God posted in a meme that, that's been circulating around, um, Paolo's numbers are really comparable with LeBron and Kevin Durant's early season numbers. And, and that's no guarantee that he will become LeBron or Kevin Durant, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a good place to start. And obviously, Paolo's going to get better. Um, you know, I was listening to a podcast, I think I was listening to The Mismatch, and they were talking about the Rookie of the Year race and trying to put it into balance. And they were trying to comp- compare Paolo to kind of bursty years from Michael Carter-Williams, from Tyreek Evans. And look, Tyreek Evans is, is, is an interesting example because Tyreek Evans um, was playing was was playing at a historical level. He was doing things that hadn't been done since Grant Hill, LeBron James, Jason Kidd, those kind of numbers. And he kind of petered out. And so in that sense, yes, um, Paolo Bancaro's got to build on this. He's got to get better. You know, he can't just... He can't be this again next year. He's got to be a better version of this. The same way Franz Wagner has been a better version of what Franz was last year. The The journey does not stop after the rookie year. And I think that is important. And that projects well for what Jalen Williams has done. That projects well for what Jay Nivey's done. Um, you know, that what Jerry, so, you know, what, what so many of these players have done is they have continued to get better. Um, as season's gone on, and Paolo's kind of hit a little bit of a ceiling because there just isn't much more for him to get better at that he can do uh, during the offseason other than uh, during the season other than just make better choices because the ball's in his hand so much. And you expect rookies to make bad choices. But Paolo Bancaro succeeded in, in, in so many ways that so many of his peers have not. He succeeded at things that none of his peers could probably imagine they would have to do. And so once again... Let's shut down the Rookie of the Year debate. It's Paolo Bancaro. No questions. No debate. It's over. It's been over. This feels like it needs to be said again because it's popping up and 
you know, we're two weeks away from the end of the season, and Paolo's playing some really good basketball to end the season. He went through a February swoon. I think everyone kind of watched that February swoon, saw that he went one for 33 on three-pointers during that month, and was like, oh, Paolo's slipping. Paolo's, Paolo's done. Like, no, he's bounced back to where he was in December, in January. He's honestly slowly getting back to where he was in November again, and it's been pretty good. Paolo Bancaro's your Rookie of the Year. Case closed. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Lockdown Magic. Of course, find me on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd. Subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts. Search your tune in Himmel, Google, Spotify, Odyssey, and all of it we send on the podcast to your podcast and able to listen to advice. For the latest on the Orlando Magic, be sure to check out orlandomagicdaily.com. Of course, follow us there on Twitter at omagicdaily. Now that you're done listening to us, be sure to check out the Locked On Game to Game NBA podcast. Every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Locked On NBA available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. That's going to do it for me today, though. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked On Magic for Orlando Magic Daily and Locked On Magic. We'll see you all next time for another episode of Locked On Magic.